All righty, welcome to another week of Canon Calls. This week, we had the privilege of speaking with the CEO of Canon Press and Cannonball Books and the rest of the brands, Jess Hall. We open up with a brief description of where Jess is from and how he got here, and then moving on to the State of the Union on kids' publishing industry. Several of us in the office are subscribed to things like Publishers Weekly, and this week we had a really funny email come through about what to expect this spring from major publishing houses in kid fiction. And so Jess goes down the line, he reads a few of the descriptions there, and we really talk about why Cannonball exists, not only to do the best stories we can for Christian kids, but it also exists for Christian authors who more than likely will not have a place in the major New York publishing houses for much longer. So with all of that, I want to encourage everyone listening, please go check out cannonballbooks.com. We mentioned several authors in the episode, like Jess Evans' newest book, Penguin Set Sail, Christine Cohen's The Winter King, Remy Wilkins, Strays, all of these really great books for your kids are right there, ready for you to buy. Lastly, I will mention, brand new from Cannonball Books, is our edition of George McDonald's The Princess and the Goblin. A couple of episodes back, I talked with Dr. Tim Larson about the life and works of George McDonald, and now Cannonball Books is the new home of George McDonald's classic, The Princess and the Goblin. So I highly recommend going and get that book. Dr. Tim Larson was kind enough to give us an introduction, and of course, we gave it the Canon special with a Forrest Dickinson cover. So to conclude, go get the newest edition of George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin, available today at canonpress.com. And without further ado, meet Jess Hall. Alrighty, now welcoming on the CEO of Canon Press, Jess Hall. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, letting me have this podcast and uh, signing my checks, etc. Real quick, I wanted to make sure folks knew who you were, so you've been at it. You've been in the saddle for more than a year. Yep, just over a year. Yeah, so briefly, where did you come from? Yeah, so I came in to Canon Press as an intern finishing up my master's in creative writing at Oxford. And coincidentally, Aaron Branch, the previous CEO and uh, owner of Canon Press still, the chairman of the board, he had done the same program. And it was just coincidence. And it was, uh, you know, love at first sight. Where <laughs> I met Aaron Branch, Nate Wilson, and they were doing exactly what I had in my heart to do and what I'd been trained to do, which is, you know, I studied theology, I studied film in my undergrad, and I was doing creative writing and had a passion for education. And those are the things that Canon Press does, is Logos Press, education, Canon Press, theology, Christian living, uh, and fiction, kids' cannonball books, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. So it was just a perfect fit. And then I came here, I moved here from Tri-Cities was where I was stationed while I was finishing up my degree, and now I'm in Moscow. You were doing work 
overseas. You were at Oxford, actually. For my theology degree. Okay. Yeah. The, and then the creative you... writing program is a distance. Yeah. So I fly over there once. Okay. Was there an opportunity there that you wanted to stay? Or, or how did you think about that? Did I want to stay in Oxford? Yeah. Even uh, if you did the distance kind of degree, did you want to stay over there at all or no? No. I didn't have any interest in staying in Oxford. Uh, after a year of being there and walking the streets, I think the charm... Uh, the charm is still there. Like it's a an amazing place with a lot of history. Uh, the Christian history is rich, and being, you know, walking the same blocks as C.S. Lewis is always encouraging. Yeah. But there's also a culture there that's headed in the wrong direction, and I didn't want to be around it any more than I already was. So I was happy to leave, but I did want to finish up or do that program, and you know, have the building blocks in order to go and do something like what I'm doing right now. So yeah, now you are CEO of Cannon Press, which also means several other brands that you mentioned, Logos Press, Cannonball Books. And in particular, one of the things that I wanted to have you in on was as we think about Cannonball Books, which is our kids' fiction brand, how are you thinking about Cannonball Books? And it wasn't too long after you got here that we even started it. So what, what do you have in mind as far as cannonball books when you think about the future yeah funny enough backstory is when i was doing my internship here at canon they had me read a first draft of strays and give my thoughts as part okay. of that which became the first book on the cannonball label right strays uh, by remy wilkins and so when i got here and actually worked on it editorially and we released it that was the beginning so my time here is the beginning of the cannonball and that was one of the projects I was most excited to come on and be a part of, and still I'm very excited to um, work on. You get here kind of at the origin of Cannonball Books, but as you look at it now, we have several titles underneath. So Rem, we have Remy's Strays, of course, C.R. Wiley's Pearl and Boy, new authors like Christine. So we're, we're kind of gathering new authors. What do you, how do you as a CEO think about it? as the brand now what, what what do you have in mind for the future we have huge goals and we have a huge vision for it uh the the publishing world especially children's fiction is just so depraved like it needs the breath of god in it yeah <laughs> and that's the future is making it a place where parents can turn to and they have food that will feed their children's soul to have the right loyalties to have the right affections uh and so we just want a place that it's not a question of which title is going to be okay and having to go book by book, but actually an entire, you know, imprint that is safe and good and also dangerous and yeah. scary at times. Sure. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. Um, it's actually got teeth on it. It's going to imitate real life, but it's going to be done rightly so that the characters are going to be, you know, the good is going to be viewed as good and the bad is going to be viewed as bad. and it's as simple as that, but just telling true stories that aren't pushing a progressive agenda. So usually in years that we're not being quarantined by our government officials, we are traveling to conferences. We've met a ton of people at great homeschool conventions, and we usually are traveling with Indy Wilson, and so he'll take up sort of like the center table. Like we, this, we kind of are the fiction there are other authors there, but in terms of our booth, kind of the heartbeat is kids' fiction. 
So you've gone several times. I'm curious, what do you think, uh, even just with how you described uh, what we're up to, when you talk to Christian parents, what are the big questions they have as far as books? And, you know, when they come to our booth, what do you feel like is the most asked question? Which one's for girls? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Funny enough, there's not a lot of fiction with a girl as the main star or the main protagonist. Uh, So that's a question, but not what you're getting at. So what people come and they're asking is, which one's safe? Which one's clean? Which one's, uh, you know, not scary? Because my kid is scared of scary things. Right. Uh, Which, you know, I usually sit back and watch you and one of the other guys talk with customers and your response will be, well, they, they should read something that scares them a little bit. You know, they should be challenged to go to the next level to handle the dangers of the world, if appropriate for their age. And also, which one is Christian, right? Yeah, like, is right. this a Christian 100%. book? And then it's like, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's you know. Not, you know, the kid named Christian that <laughs> goes on a journey. When you go to one of those events, you're dealing with kind of one side of the ditch as compared to the other. So uh, those are, like, I feel like great homeschool conventions are usually going to have Hyper vigilant moms, right. you know, like, am I about to feed my kid like a bunch of terrible things? Yeah, the homeschool um, crowd is an amazing crowd, but there is a ditch that they fall into often, which is, you know, overprotective of their children. They know that right. there's dangers out there, right? And then they might go too far in protecting their kids right. from anything seemingly dangerous at all. So there's that side of the sort of kid fiction ditch, and then what we wanted to talk about today is like the other side of the ditch with kid fiction where you are subscribed to publisher weekly and uh you'll get emails about here's the upcoming fiction line for you know the spring and the books that come out of there you start to understand like why moms are the way they are when we meet them at homeschool events right i mean there's definitely a, a a need to ask the question of like what is in this book Right. Uh, and there's, you know, you don't want to be on the other ditch where you just, your kid goes to the library and they pick up whatever book is there and you think, oh, it's a middle grade book, so it can't be right. bad. Right. Um, stories are going to shape your loyalties and your affections and what you think is good and true. And so, yeah, I just want I brought in, actually, I printed off a article that, is from Publisher Weekly saying, here is what to look forward to in the spring of 2020 from the middle grade. And I just thought it was so relevant because it highlights what we're up against as far as Cannonball Books and what we're trying to do. Yeah, so briefly, middle grade fiction. So middle grade fiction is, I think on the back of the books, this is seven to nine, but it's really just the adventure stories. And, you know, if you're a seventh grade reading level, you can pick it up and have a good time. But obviously fifth graders and fourth graders read middle yeah. grade as well. And so do high school students. And that's always a question too. Olds. I feel like the question I'm answering at conferences is like, well, it is seven to nine ish or not seven to 12 ish or, or whatever. But like, you know, think the first couple Harry Potters are middle grade and adults read those all the time. Or, you know, right. these are for, if they're good enough, they're for everybody. But clearly there's a specific age group. Yeah. They're targeted at seven to nine-year-olds marketed as yeah. the market. Got it. Um, and that's usually the protagonists are seven to 12, and the protagonist will be a 12-year-old turning 13. Yeah. So they have somebody to look up to. Um, and so this is like leading that younger group's 
affections, right? Yeah. I keep going yeah. back to that, but that's the, you know, you get, you know, as adults, even we have characters, maybe from movies, it's more popular of like, oh, I want to be like Rocky. I don't yeah. <laughs> and it's like right. that Rocky shaped my, you know, competitive drive. And so the yeah. same way, what the characters do and are and how they think about situations will shape and I think be that's, the role model. I think that's really good. And kind of where we, even if at the end of the day you read a book or something and you're not like, well, I'm not hanging a poster of that person. But at least like when you're reading and you're engaging with fiction, the author is trying to present to you a compelling case for a character. Right. Like, right. don't you like, even if you're like, if even if you're not like, well, I want to be just like him, you at least think like, that is good. It's somebody worth spending time with. Yeah, right? worse, yeah, exactly. And so you are the equivalent of the top five people you spend the most time with. And right. if your kids are spending time with these characters, totally, that could be a, you know, really change who they are. Totally. So jump in uh, with some of these. So yeah, I'll just read right down the list of like the things that are featured in this article, uh, just for you you to get an idea of what's out there and what if your kids are in public school like what is coming to their library at their school and what their peers are going to be reading even if they're not in public school this is what is out there this is what's on the market and what's being highlighted um, by the big publishers so first one is because of that crow by beverly brenna ptsd makes it difficult for harris to deal with the death of his parents three years after the accident but a fifth grade science fair assignment and the appearance of a mysterious crow leads Harris to discover how he might cope with his past. So, yeah. middle school kid dealing with PTSD of the death of his parents. Right. Not inherently bad, but you know where it's going. Um, and you'll get more of an idea of where that's probably headed yeah. with some context of the other books that are coming out. Yeah. So, The Best at It by Malik Pahoni, Pachoni. A gay Indian-American boy who is figuring out his identity and coping with OCD as he enters seventh grade in a small Indiana town. It's all about intersectionality, right? Like, yeah. how many intersections can this kid sure. lean on? And he's gay, and he's an Indian-American, so he's been oppressed. And he's figuring out his identity while he also deals with OCD. So, like, how many... <laughs> The author has really stacked the deck here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's, so that's the person that you're going to be spending time with is the OCD gay American Indian kid. Uh, the Brave by James Byrd. According to Liz Sesbaugh, associate publisher of Fuller and Friends and editor of this book, in James's Byrd debut, Own Voices, middle grade novel, the main character possesses words spoken to him by counting each letter and then stating the total before he responds to the speaker. The author experienced a similar way of processing at that age. Doctors couldn't agree on a diagnosis. It meant James, like his main character, was considered too difficult to teach in mainstream classes. Some people give up on these kids, or at least pass the buck. Today, people with brains like mine are called neurodiversive. And all those years ago, I was sent to the doctors, but my mom, a single parent, a single parent to me and my siblings who worked two jobs, was a better doctor. She diagnosed me with being overly creative. I chose to be brave and believe her, and I finally saw my curse as a gift. So, again, the third book on their list, somebody with a problem. Like a kid with a disability <laughs> of some sort. Well, and I love that 
the problem is I'm too creative, you know, and I'm seeing this curse now as a gift. Get like flashbacks to like maybe a small group that we've all been in where that guy keeps saying he prays too much. You know, he's just <laughs> like, I think about God too much and I got to cut it out. Yeah. 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 No, no, totally. <laughs> like if you don't have a problem, you're not as cool. That's what you're learning. It's like these kids, you got to find the thing that you struggle with and lean into it as the chief cornerstone cornerstone of your identity. So whether it's right. you're gay, there's your identity card, or you struggle with OCD, here's your identity card, yeah. whatever, PTSD, there's your identity. It's PTSD or whatever this kid's diagnosis was, creativity. Yeah, being too creative. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine, too, that... For the kid that's OCD, I doubt that his character arc is thinking less about himself and getting out of his own head and just being interested in the world. Right. Outside of himself. Like, I doubt that's his character arc. No, it's, so it's, it's, it's continually looking in, right? It's yeah, right. D- digging deeper and deeper into yourself to find your <laughs> self. You know? Right, which is, which is like... a bad place to look. The Canyon's Edge by <laughs> Dust, Dusty Bowling, you know, Little Brown. <laughs> Nora is still reeling in a spiral of anxiety and depression after her mother was killed in a random shooting. But when she and her father explore a canyon in the desert and try to find some peace, they become separated and Nora faces a new struggle to survive. So, you know, if it wasn't enough that her mom died, her dad lost her. Right. (laughs) And she struggles with her identity and already anxiety and depression. So... Let me just rattle off a few yeah, more. Yeah, go ahead. Go uh, the Deepest Breath, Meg Green, um, creative name, spelling there, comes out in 2021, February. In a novel in verse that explores identity, Stevie's mother, uh, Stevie, S-T-E-V-I-E, so it could be boy, it could be girl, let's find out, helps her, that's a girl, find the right tools to manage her anxiety. But Stevie still struggles with some very big unknowns that she hasn't asked her mom about yet including the feeling Stevie has for her friend, Chloe. Oh, <laughs> didn't see that one coming. Or I could have guessed. And it's not surprising. Yeah. That's why I can just read down this list. It's just like, it's so bad what's being put out right. there. Uh, next one, five things about Ava Andrews uh, already. It's about Ava Andrews. <laughs> Ava Andrews. She's a shy 11-year-old, uh, and she's determined to manage her anxiety by joining an improv group at school and soon discovers her activist voice. Good. You know? Which we, yeah, yeah. we're worried she might. 11-year-old. Yeah, right. Finding her activist <laughs> voice. Very good. Flying over water. At Bayshore Middle School, Jordan serves as middle school ambassador to Nora and her family, who were recently granted asylum after living two years in a Turkish refugee camp. Jordan begins experiencing panic attacks and is learning to deal with her anxiety as she helps Nora cope with the prejudice and hostility she faces in the Florida community following the enforcement of President Trump's, oh, wow, very, like, time-specific, uh, 2017 Muslim ban. <laughs> when does it release? That one is already out. Okay. So, a couple more. Foreverland. Margaret, a middle schooler with generalized anxiety disorder who suffers from morphing list of phobias escapes the streets and trouble at home by running away to her favorite local amusement park did any of those that i just rattled off not have anxiety as a prime identity factor for these characters and i'm not saying that kids 
that are that young don't suffer with anxiety, but it's almost like glorifying it, right? Yeah. It's it's saying here is your identity card. It's this anxiety and if you go down this list, it's a long list and there's a whole section of me too books, you know, fighting words. 10-year-old Dahlia's world is shaken when her older sister and fierce competitor Suki attempts suicide and after Suki is sexually abused by her, her mother's boyfriend who has taken them in while their mom is in prison. Sounds like a like memoir. That's just a random one, right? Right. That sounds like a memoir of maybe like a 48-year-old woman. Right, who's... right. And something that maybe only sh- like adults should be right. entertaining as their entertainment. Right, right. Or not even entertainment, but just news. Because uh, that happens, again. Sure. But right. it's not entertainment for seven to nine-year-olds, which is what the right. back of the book is going to say. Right. So it's just frightening. It's just frightening. Um, and there's 20, 30 more on these lists of what's coming in spring and what your kids yeah, this is just or seasonal. your kids' friends right. are going to be <laughs> this are going to be reading right uh, and what's going to be shaping the way they think and what they believe to be true about the world so if that's the case and let's say somebody who is anticipating these books are is listening which is not, not likely, likely but yeah. <laughs> they haven't got this far <laughs> yeah right but how would we talk about then in terms of uh, the mission and vision of Cannonball Books, like if somebody were to go down the list of our copy or what these books are about, what what are some like subtle? What would be differences? I guess that's a good question. Um, big difference is it, it, it's almost rather than giving in to the obstacle that's your identity, it's overcoming it. Yeah, that, I would say that's the biggest thing. It's here's the challenge in Cora's life. You know. Right. She has to find a way to provide for her family, you know, amidst uh, troubling uh, Amidst the coronavirus. So. Basically, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And so it's, it's overcoming that obstacle and, you know, coming out the other end victorious rather than wallowing in self-doubt, self-depression, right. and, like, that being the main focus of the story. Like, yep. everybody has a challenge. Sure. But the challenge isn't your identity. And the it's outside of yourself. It's outside of yourself. Right. And it shouldn't be taken on as, you know, your card. And, you know, one thing, this comes from setting a good diet for your kid in terms of literature and movies and everything else. But, like, you would want, you, you would want your kid to have that same, like, reaction that we're having. Right. Because, right. like, how, how sad is it that you would have kids that are all of a sudden locked in? You know that are this is compelling, right? And they this read, is they read the back copy and the the back of the jacket, <laughs> and they're and in. They think, oh, and they're man. in anxiety, like yeah. homosexuality, awesome, right? And I got to know more. You know what happens to that girl? Yeah, like it, it, even just that, like how can being, I imitate it? Yeah, right. Being compelled to like know, rather than just creating the kind of kid who could read that copy and toss it, which is what you're after. You know, it's super sad that this is a reality that. You know, they could be compelled by this. Right. I mean, and, and they will. Like, you, they don't have the, you know, even just thinking classical, yep. the structure of, you know, the development of a young adult, a young right. child, is that they just absorb the information and they don't quite understand it. They don't have the, they're not even at the logic stage to be reading middle grade right. necessarily, uh, maybe at the upper end, but they're not piecing it together and forming yeah. a worldview that they're totally conscious of. They're just 
believing what you're telling them. Which that's, is that's yeah. a feature, not a right. bug, right? Exactly. You want them to be exactly. thinking what my parents are telling me is true. Right. And the parents should be telling them the truth. And they should be telling them about Christ and how that story impacts everything. But if they're getting these stories and they're not getting stories from their parents and they're not getting the right stories from their library, then they're left with this as their one narrative to just believe because right. they don't know that they should be critically thinking when they're reading a story. Right. I think it Nate quotes Chesterton who talks about how the modern novel takes a highly unique person in a mundane world. And that's the point. You just watch them do that. where Everything's so boring or the usual mom trope and usual younger brother trope, but I'm interesting and I have like things to explore and there's, there's stuff inside of me that's like interesting and compelling <laughs> rather than the old school novel, which is a, a highly normal kid, very average, the every kid right. who's in, in a world gone mad. And like we get to watch him overcome, you know, things that the author has given him to overcome, but it's in response to the world outside of himself. Right. Where, like, if a kid were to sit down, if Frodo were to sit down and reflect, you know, the things going on inside of me, <laughs> it's just like, well, you don't have time, dude, because you're running from work. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's it's right. like, and you bigger fish to fry. Exactly. And you want a kid who thinks that way, or, you know, that wouldn't stop, by the way, headed to Mount Doom because they're having a panic attack. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how uncompelling if you put any of the characters we've talked about in Narnia. Or in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And it's like all of a sudden you just got used to scrubs whose parents never gave them the right stories. They just gave up. Who walks into a dragon's den and doesn't know that's what it is. And it's just, well, I'm going to take the gold. Yeah. To go back, it's, it's there. They sh- should be imitating. Like kids yeah. will imitate right. what they're watching. And to talk about Rocky again, like I didn't, I never as a kid watched Rocky and didn't like jump on the floor and start doing push ups. <laughs> Right. Yeah. When that, when that montage yeah. starts happening, yeah, right. like you want to be like him. You want to go yeah. do the thing that makes him heroic and overcome that next giant competitor that right. he has. Right. And what is what is the equivalent to push ups of these stories? Like what are the kids <laughs> gonna do to imitate these heroes? Yeah. And it's complain. Right. And it's wallow and it's to look inward and be suicidal and be anxious, that's not good. The stakes are high for parents Mm -hmm. in terms of what you offer them. And so what do they offer them? And that's what we're trying to answer with Cannonball. So for Cannonball books, obviously we have built uh, sort of a stalwart, you know, outpost against this kind of stuff. And ultimately a place where um, I imagine, as you were saying earlier, the kind of, uh, if people who are, Christians who are great writers and have great stories to tell, um, no matter their color, I imagine at this point, it doesn't really matter. If your story isn't hitting key components, right. they're not going to take you. They're right. not going to publish you. You know, we know an author who is publishing in New York, and yeah. you know, as the manuscript is being edited, it's being edited to include their agenda. Right. And if it doesn't get edited that way, they come up against a wall. Right. And you know, how much more is, how much stronger and stronger is that wall becoming till yep. eventually you just can't tell good stories anymore. And so we're that place that authors can turn to if, you know, that faucet gets turned off right. completely. And even if people don't want to make that compromise or if they're trying to get into the industry, no matter what their skin color is, we'll welcome you at Game yeah. of All Books. You know? Yeah. 
find us on all social medias. We're pretty much everywhere. Cannonball Books, cannonballbooks.com. You can send in manuscripts, Brian at cannonpress.com. Brian yeah. and I. Yeah, we're here. We're here to <clears throat> help people tell good stories. So we just published Jess Evans, who did a wordless picture book, Penguin Set Sail. Uh, we've mentioned Christine Cohen's name a few times. She wrote a killer book called The Winter King. Tim Chester's Dragons and Dragon Slayers, which is a fantastic, yeah. you know, nonfiction middle grade book that just tells the true story. Absolutely fascinating book. Um, let me let me highlight. Uh, there's a a quote from Andy Wilson from his book Death by Living that yeah. really is at the heart of what we're doing with Cannonball, and sure. I'll just read it. For years, all we do is feed. We don't control our what our parents feed us for dinner. We don't control what they read to us or don't read to us, or what they let us watch. We are like jars of wet clay, and we are loaded full with every kind of tale, films, books, TV shows, stories from friends, parents, and grandparents. And as we dry, we take shape. We take shape of what has been dumped inside of us. And when we begin to make our own choices, when we become an active character in our own narratives, all of that soul food is behind us which we might not even remember the stories that were there and groomed us and molded us while we were still unfired clay. Even as adults, stories groom instincts, and instincts control loyalties, and loyalties shape choices. But growth is harder for adults. And then we move beyond just making our own choices. We begin deciding what narrative we will pour or allow to be poured into our small people. We will feed them, or far more frequently, others will do it for us. Souls will be fed and shaped from the inside out. That much is inescapable. From Death by Living, and it's just, it's the truth. People are going to hear stories. Those stories are going to feed who they become. And you won't even be conscious of it. And so what we're doing at Cannibal is telling stories that are the right kind of food, that will build the right kind of person that sees Christ and types of Christ as the hero. Cannibalbooks.com more and more we actually have a cannonball release a classic coming out next week yeah actually it's already out today so we are going to publish george mcdonald's the princess and the goblin and in a few months we'll release princess and curdy with a fantastic introduction from dr tim larson who was actually on this podcast we met uh to talk about george mcdonald in a previous episode so uh go get that today at cannonpress.com sweet Sweet. Thank you, Jess, for coming in and talking about it. Thank you.